0: Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Hey guys, you're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta, your host, and I'm joined by Joan Kelly Walker from The Real Housewives of Toronto. Hi, Joan.
0: Hi. I'm really excited about today's show.
1: Right, because our special guest tonight is incredibly inspiring. Shalina Ayana, she's the founder and visionary of Rising Women and a conscious relationship and spiritual psychology writer. She runs an online community called Rising Woman, where she educates on spirituality, conscious relationships, and shadow work. Today we're going to be discussing the foundations of a healthy conscious relationship, what constitutes as red flag behavior, how to heal childhood trauma that may be affecting our romantic relationships how to deal with conflict in a healthy way and the importance of forgiveness i hope that we can get through all of this with so much information uh, shay will also help us discover how we can cultivate a better relationship with ourselves and others and we have so much to cover so let's jump right in so shay welcome to the show
2: thank you so much for having me
1: Um, Maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about you. I'd love to hear more about your journey and how you uh, got to be where you are now. Like what inspired you to discover your line of work that helps so many people?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, you know, for me, it's always been about my own life journey, and it's really been the life school that I've been put through early on with a lot of childhood trauma of my own and experiencing childhood abuse and abandonment and, um, and never having met my father and really just being in the space of survival mode for most of my life. Um, so I kind of repeated a lot of those childhood patterns and that feeling of never being safe and never being seen in my adult relationships um, until one day I went through a really big wake-up call in my you know, mid-20s. I went through a really painful divorce, was utter betrayal. Um, I lost everything in that process, but I also really woke up to all of the pain of my childhood that I had never felt. And so it really invited me into this deeper space of exploration of, you know, what I had been suppressing and what I hadn't been looking at. And I started to see the ways that I was perpetuating these relationship patterns that were so painful for me to be in. And so I dove deep into my own healing work with my mother wound. I did a lot of shadow work and inner child work. And I ultimately found freedom in that because I realized that a lot of the pain that I was experiencing was from the past and it was from me not allowing myself to feel my feelings and really to move through those things. And so I began sharing that journey with others I've been writing since I was You know three or four years old it's always been my passion to be a writer and uh, and so my writing just started to take on a different form and i built rising woman to share the journey and also to you know encourage other people to look at their own past and to look at their own patterns now in the present moment and see what's holding them back and you know what are the beliefs that they have about themselves and what are the stories that they tell themselves about their own worth that might be preventing them from experiencing conscious and healthy love.
1: And you know what? Honestly, um good for you. You are such an inspiration. What you went through no sh- child should ever go through. I mean, being shipped around from foster home to foster home, growing up with the feeling that nobody loves you. You know, like where are your parents? I reading your story, I just uh, just gave me a sense of wow, like I'm so grateful, you know, um, because what you went through was horrible. And you were able to turn that around, which is so inspiring and so amazing. So Mm -hmm. we really need to listen to you because if you did it, other people can do it too. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, there's a lot of people that haven't had that type of trauma that still need to do the work. So, you know, I I just want to reiterate what you're doing there is really, really important, especially right now with COVID and all the craziness in the world. So uh, thank you.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, you know, I think what is powerful about this work is that two things happen. One is that we, some of us see ourselves in others. So there's a lot of people who come to my work because they see themselves in my story and they feel validated and then the other thing is is that other people they they finally realize that you know their experience was valid even if it didn't have you know this big dramatic storyline maybe they were at home with both of their parents and they they had those people present but there wasn't that emotional nurturance and validation and so this work really is about really validating yourself, really validating your early experiences and knowing that whatever your story is, it's okay to feel how you feel, but it doesn't have to hold you captive. It doesn't have to hold you in the past. Like you aren't your story. Your story is what brought you here, but you can transcend that.
1: And now you talk a lot about conscious relationships. What Mm -hmm. is a conscious relationship and what are the foundations of a conscious relationship?
2: I like to always kind of say that the only difference between a conscious relationship and maybe your conventional relationship, or if we want to say unconscious relationship, uh, is that we're taking ownership for our minds and our emotions and our behaviors. We're in a conventional relationship where we see uh, the other person as the source of our happiness. Okay, so we see a relationship as this sort of entity that's going to give us a feeling it's going to make us feel better it's going to take away our problems and we see the partner as that person who's supposed to give us something and usually that's validation love and approval and attention and and what really happens, though, is that when we get into relationship, oftentimes our deeper wounds from childhood or, you know, some of the things that we haven't dealt with, those things will get triggered. So relationship is actually kind of a tough container to exist in. It's not the fantasy that we've made it out to be. It can be a bringer of joy and happiness and love, but it's also work. And so in a conscious relationship, we stop giving all of our power to that other person for how they're going to make us feel and what they're going to do for us. And we start to operate in a space of co-creation and responsibility. So there's mutual trust, mutual admiration, mutual respect, but then there's total accountability for our thoughts and our behaviors and our emotions. So no longer is that person responsible for, you know, making me feel this way or making me feel that way. So when we enter into a space of, say, conflict, when something comes up, it's not about that other person being bad or wrong or not giving us what we need. Instead, we can actually go home to ourselves and say, you know, what does this represent for me? What is this bringing up in me? And maybe there's something from your past that's being triggered and this reminds you of a time, you know, where your needs didn't get met in an earlier time. So instead of projecting anger at your partner and blaming them, you can actually become more present with yourself and say, oh, I actually think this is about... You know, this one time, it's really bringing back that story that I'm not important. And when I don't feel important, then I act out. When I feel dismissed or when I feel rejected, you know, I get defensive or I get angry because underneath that, is there a lot of vulnerability, a lot of sensitivity that I don't want to show because it's humiliating to be rejected. So in this conscious space, what we're doing is we're just taking a step back for a moment and we're observing the experience rather than just getting, getting that offload of energy onto our partner. And then we can practice being vulnerable and really expressing that need. And that's where our partners really have an opportunity to meet us in a new space. And we can actually help each other heal. We can help each other feel seen. We can help each other feel validated and respected and loved, um, which is something that we just can't do when we're in a space of defensiveness. And we'll always be in a space of defensiveness if neither of us are taking ownership for our minds.
1: And sometimes it's so difficult, though, to to get our partner on board with us.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it is. And I think that that's just, we could talk about that forever because it's such a challenge when we begin to want to do this work. The first thing that I always hear people say is like, well, how can I get my partner to do the work or they won't do the work? And, you know, a lot of times I think that the beginning stages, we really have to take our energy home and really focus on what we're doing, not on what they're doing. There are, of course, A lot of cases where we are doing the work and we're deep in it and our partner just refuses and that's a whole other story. But I think in the initial stages, especially in the first few years, even for myself, I would be doing the work quote but then you know, if something would happen in my partnership with my husband, I would still blame him. You know, if he didn't behave the way I wanted him to behave, I'd say, well, I'm doing the work and you're not, so therefore this is this is on you. But there was still deeper layers for me to go personally. And so every time he didn't, you know, do what I wanted him to do or behave the way that I wanted him to behave, that was still an opportunity for me to look at myself, to look at my own reactions, to look at my own mind, my own story and learn how to be with myself, how to self-soothe, how to set firm boundaries, and also how to stay in my center. And so I think it's sort of one of those double-edged swords where, yes, you want your partner to do the work, but you also cannot force them. You have to give them space to come to it on their own. And sometimes when you begin to shift the way that you show up in the relationship, like, if you remove that, that barrier where you're, you know, they expect you to be defensive, so they're already walled up and you, and you soften, right? That's an opportunity for them to shift too, right? And they may not, but they may also. So sometimes we have to be the ones to go first. We have to extend and we have to practice going first and not waiting for our partner to do it so that we can do it because that's a keeping score game.
1: Great advice.
2: Mm hmm.
1: Before the break, is there anything else that we can do um, or that you teach uh, when you're teaching conscious relationship work?
2: Ultimately, it's really about self-honoring and it's about self-awareness. So this whole practice is about you having a deeper relationship to yourself. And that's the main key point here is that before you have a healthy relationship with anyone else, you also really want to have a healthy relationship with you. So, you know, that self-knowledge is everything because that's what you bring into your relationship. Those patterns don't exist outside of you. They start with you.
1: We need to take a break and we will be back. Um, When we come back, we're going to talk about the inner child, inner child healing and steps that we can take to heal our inner child. We'll be back.
0: Now back to the dating and relationship show with Laura Bilata from SingleInTheCity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: You're tuned in to Global News Radio 640 Toronto, the dating and relationship show. It's Sunday night, and joining me in studio is Joan Kelly Walker from The Real Housewives of Toronto, and Shay. Shay uh, is also our special guest. She's a conscious relationship and psychology writer. She's a founder of the online community. Rising Woman, and tonight we're focusing on the foundations of a healthy conscious relationship, how childhood trauma affects our relationships, and so much more. Uh, So let's just continue um, with our uh, talk around conscious relationship work. Now, there's no environment or relationship that is conflict-proofed. I mean... As long as we have differences in personality traits, uh, in our backgrounds, our upbringing, our childhood experiences, then conflict is inevitable. Shay, you hold this strong belief that conflict is an opportunity for growth. Can you put that into perspective for us? Why is conflict an opportunity for growth when it comes to relationships?
2: Yeah, well this is sort of the you know the age old saying from, you know, one of my favorite teachers, Harville Hendricks. Um he wrote the book Getting the Love You Want, which I just have to recommend for everybody in the world, uh, because really conflict is the opportunity for us to get to know ourselves deeper and also to see what's underneath the surface. So you'll remember when I mentioned that oftentimes we respond with defensiveness, right? Or we respond with anger. But what's underneath that, we're protecting something. We're always protecting something and usually that is our sensitivity, what's true for us, like maybe we're afraid of being abandoned or we're afraid of being hurt and it would be more honest for us in the Space of conflict to say that to our partner to say you know I'm feeling really afraid right now or I'm feeling really scared or I'm feeling really you know rejected or I feel abandoned you know and to speak that emotion or that fear or that story into the space but what we do instead is we get really guarded and defensive mm-hmm. so okay. it's hard whenever- to
0: identify that thought though like you know to to be able to say okay I'm feeling abandoned like how mm-hmm. do you know how do I identify it sometimes? Like, I, you know, everybody goes through this, and I certainly, you know, feel all, all of those things. But sometimes I don't know what I'm feeling, and I can't simmer it down to saying, okay, I'm feeling abandoned or I'm feeling, you know, defensive. I, you know, I get that. But then why? Like, I can't find the source of it.
2: Mm-hmm. And, well, this is where it, it takes practice, and we really got to slow down a little bit, okay? So, and this is something that we're not good at ever, but especially when we're in conflict with our partner, we start to talk fast, our heart rate rises, we start to get really in their face, we start talking over each other, and then our, we're raising our voice because we turn into children, we want to be heard. Um, but what's required in this space where we want to have conscious conflict is that we actually just want to pause right? We want to take a step back and we want to just lower our heart rate. We want to breathe and really want to tune in. So a practice that I have is actually working with my inner child, which we can talk about a bit more, but what it is, is really taking that moment to be with yourself and to take a few deep breaths and to contact that sensitive, vulnerable part of you and to, to ask for a moment, you know, to your sensitive parts, what is, What is it that you're trying to say? You know, what is it that you're feeling? And if you really take a moment to tune into the vulnerable part of you, there will be something there and it will be an honest, authentic feeling. What happens is that we tend to override that because many of us have learned to override our feelings. We don't want to express them. It wasn't safe to do that when we were children or when we were growing up. And so we've really learned to invalidate ourselves and to not listen. We have to actually retrain that. We have to come back to that space where we're learning how to listen to and identify our own feelings. So that's the first step, really, is being able to slow down.
1: Shay, we know that wounds and trauma that people have experienced in their past may uh, be triggers today that control their behavior. Why is that? How can childhood trauma or our early relationship with our parents affect our relationships?
2: I mean, it really comes down to nervous system. So our nervous system is wiring in those early stages, right? By the time we're like six months old, we've already sort of attuned to our mothers and their primary emotions. So whatever they're most comfortable with, in terms of emotionality is what we're going to be synced up with. Okay, so if you think of it like we're kind of we're kind of little computers, and we're being programmed by our caregivers and their nervous systems. So let's say they didn't have a regulated nervous system. Maybe they endured trauma, or they didn't know how to handle their anger, or maybe they stuffed all of their emotions. So that's what we're regulating too. Okay, and so we're a computer, and we're running on the program that we started with, and we don't have this. automatic update function where all of a sudden we're asked if we want to update the program we just run on it forever right there's no automatic updates we have to consciously choose those and it takes a lot of work because the nervous system really holds all of that memory So when we're carrying that into our adult relationships, when we get triggered, what's actually happening is it's really that little child in each of us, that little girl or that little boy that didn't feel seen or that, you know, felt embarrassed, you know, because of something that they did or they were made fun of when they were sensitive or they were, you know, locked in their room when they showed anger and told that they couldn't come out until they behaved better. And so really deep early on we learn that certain emotions are not okay and certain behaviors are not okay and so when we come into our adult relationships unconsciously we want to heal that but what we'll do is we'll kind of test our partners we'll say you know is this okay is that okay but we'll do it sometimes in a way that doesn't allow them to see our vulnerability we might act out and so I kind of uh, I kind of see it as a, a little child having a tantrum in an adult body. That's how we turn out when we're in conflict with our partners. And so it's always an attempt to heal from the past. If we didn't feel love or we didn't feel acceptance or approval, then we might be unconsciously chasing that in every person that we meet as an adult until we do the work to give ourselves that love and that validation to seek it in healthy ways. So we can really end up in unsafe situations with unsafe people if we're not aware of those parts of us that are still quite wounded that are seeking external approval. So you really got to be mindful of that.
1: And how can people go around
0: sort of ignoring that as much as possible? Say again? I I think a lot of people just, they're not like they just want to step over it and they don't want to have to face that within themselves because that's Uh, You know, it's
2: a difficult thing. Well, it's so scary. I mean, it's not even that I don't think that they don't want to. It's that, first of all, they don't know that it's there, right? Like, I didn't know that it was there. People would say, how did you endure so much trauma and go through so much and here you are you're fine and I said oh I just got over it you know but that wasn't true of course what happened was that I suppressed it all but I didn't know that until a big event came and woke me up right so often it's in crisis that we all of a sudden have to face all of the things that we never faced and so it's a coping mechanism and we We learn how to survive, which is beautiful and brilliant. And it's amazing that we can do that. Um, But our relationships can't thrive unless we look at this stuff. Um, So it it really does take a lot of courage and it takes a lot of support because this isn't the kind of healing work that we can do on our own. We really do need to do it in relationship with other people in community with good coaches and therapists and guides uh, because it's heavy stuff. And uh, it makes so much sense to me why, you know, a lot of people don't want to go there because it can be overwhelming. And we think that there's something wrong with us, but there's not. There's nothing wrong with us. We've all gone through, th- gone through things. We've all endured heartache and pain. Um, but that doesn't make you bad and it doesn't make you broken. Um, that's part of your story and it, it actually can bring you to a place of deeper self-acceptance and self-love if you're willing to look at it
1: which is a beautiful thing. Now, And we know our relationship can't thrive if we don't do inner child healing. So what steps can one take to heal their inner child?
2: So, First, I'll just give a quick little explanation. You know, the inner child is that little part of you. Imagine little you at three or five or seven years old. You know, if you lay down in your bed with your hand on your belly and your heart and you want to imagine yourself as a, a small child, you might just land on an age and it might be an age that was significant for you in your own childhood and that child is with you everywhere you go and remember that when you're triggered in your conflict with your partner that little child that didn't have the needs met or that endured something really hard is coming back out to the surface and that's the inner child that is sometimes acting out Uh, so what we want to do is be in relationship with that inner child Oftentimes, what we've learned to do is silence it. We've learned to cover up our sensitivity and to guard that sensitive inner child with, you know, we maybe we have a, a guard dog in us, so we get really, you know, angry or defensive and we push them away. We don't let them in. Because we're protecting that inner child. So the first thing that we can do is begin to practice communicating with ourselves in that way. So I created a free inner child meditation that you can get on my website at risingwoman.com. You can just download it for free. Uh, And that's a meditation that I use to guide myself through the healing of my own anxious attachment wounds. And really it's this process of contacting your inner child, having a talk with them, asking them what they're feeling, and then just breathing through those feelings and reminding them that they're safe and that it's okay for you to you know, take the lead here as the adult. So it's this act of knowing that you have a scared, vulnerable inner child or a really playful inner child that wants to be self-expressed and for you to come in as that safe adult that can take care of both of you rather than you feeling like you're the scared inner child and you're looking for somebody outside of you to come and rescue you or save you or take care of you or in conflict, you need them to do something very specific for you in order for you to be okay. So it really is this process of learning how to be an inner mother, inner father to yourself, and it's an inner dialogue. You're just talking to that little vulnerable you and saying, Hey, it's okay to have these feelings, and and you know you're not going to be abandoned. You're not going to be alone. I'm here with you, and we've got this.
1: That's great.
2: hmm I can't wait
0: to hear your yeah. meditation.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ditto. And and often in relationships, we recognize a lot of red flag behavior, and we overlook it. And. And how might our childhood traumas cause us to normalize or maybe ignore those behaviors?
2: If we grew up in chaos, then we're going to normalize chaos. If we grew up in an abusive situation, we will normalize an abusive environment now. I'm one of those people. That was my, you know, the first 25 years of my life were absolute chaos. You know, I went through pretty much everything you could go through, violent relationships, and it it was bad, but it wasn't. So outside of my normal that a real strong alert would go off and tell me to get out. And so we really have to begin to validate our past experiences and and recognize what we went through um, and start to process that. Because if we haven't looked at what we've endured and and we don't think that it's, you know, outside of normal, if we're like, oh, that was totally fine, then we won't even know what to look for in our our present-day relationship. So I think it really does still come down to um, taking some some time to work through whatever we've been through first uh, so we can develop that healthy foundation uh, and and know ourselves and and have boundaries.
0: So, Shay, I have to ask you, what if there are red flags, but... But you're determined to to make it work. You're determined to get through it. When when are the red flags big enough for you to to stop and walk away? Like how
2: do you make that determination? It's a great question, and everybody wants to know that because I think we all put out red flags at some point, even myself in in my marriage sometimes, right? We don't we have bad days. But the the big red flags are when you're not safe. If you're not safe, physically and mentally emotionally then that is not okay however you know if you're putting out red flags and both of you and your partner are aware of it you acknowledge it and you want to work through it you can it's rare but you can do it but you can't do it alone you need to do it with somebody who's qualified to help you navigate that and it takes a long time so you both have to be committed if you're committed but they're not it's not going to work
1: we need to take a break. Thank you so much. Great information tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about vulnerability. It's the key to finding love. We'll also talk about codependency and relationships. We'll be right back.
0: Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from SingleInThisCity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto
1: to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta, your host, and joining me is Joan Kelly Walker from the Real Housewives Hello. of Toronto, and Shay is also in studio with us. She's a conscious relationship and psychology writer and founder of the online community Rising Woman, and tonight we're discussing the foundations of a healthy relationship, how to deal with conflict in a healthy way, and so much more. Shay, so... As human beings, uh, we have this deep desire to connect with other people. I would even say it's a basic need that we have to survive. Yet, it can be so scary to rely on another person in a romantic re- relationship because they could always just choose to walk away from you at any point in time, right? So even maybe going on a first date requires a certain amount of vulnerability because there's, there's that risk of rejection, I'm a firm believer that vulnerability is the key to finding love. If you're not vulnerable, you're never going to experience true love. Now, there are those that embrace it and that, those that fear it. For those that fear it, Shay, how can they become more brave when it comes to showing a romantic partner their vulnerabilities?
2: I think one of the most uh, beautiful places to start is by practicing vulnerability with yourself. So if you are totally terrified to show yourself to your partner, chances are you are rejecting a part of yourself. There's a part of you that you feel is just not okay, not lovable, not acceptable. So we only guard these things when we feel ashamed of them, okay? So this is why I focus so much on self-acceptance work rather than, you know, tactics on how to, you know, get a certain reaction or response because ultimately, what matters most is that you accept yourself and if you do then you can step fully into your expression and that will allow you to practice vulnerability of course there's also a key point where we need to actually make sure that that person is a safe person not everybody is we actually aren't safe to show our vulnerability to everybody I know some people will say oh just be vulnerable anyways um for a person like myself you know I'm I've gone through a lot of trauma. It's, it's hard for me to be vulnerable. I have to really practice it. Um, I'm not going to just go and be vulnerable with anybody. It's going to take effort for me. And so I choose the people that I feel safe with to practice with. And in some of my programs, you know, with my husband, we do a couples program where we teach people to just sit in front of each other for a little bit and just make eye contact. And then just to say, you know, something that I'm feeling is. And to just start practicing looking at a person in the eyes and saying what they're feeling can be revelationary because they've never done that before. And I think that it's really important that we set aside time with our partner to actually practice it in a very conscious way, uh, because it's not going to happen as easily when we're in conflict. Right? That's like when it's hardest. For the best of us, even for, you know, the experts who've been married for 70 years, they're still struggling when they're triggered. So we have to remember that it's very human to be defensive and to be guarded, like we're primal. And so you want to practice when you're in a really good space with your partner so that it gets easier and easier when you are in conflict. Does that make sense? Mm, totally. yeah. You know, I never right.
0: thought of vulnerability as something that you need to practice, but it does make all sense in the world. Um, so mm. I think a woman um, has focused on something mm. called shadow work. Can you go into that and explain what exactly is shadow work?
2: Yeah, so shadow work is, you know, originally was coined by uh, Carl Jung, who uh, started talking about shadow work way back in the day, and um, it's been something that I've trained in for many, many years with a spiritual teacher, and it's really just this piece around self-acceptance again. But it, it does sound scary, and it's like this looming thing. People are like, "Ooh, shadow work sounds so horrifying," and and the reason is is because we're actually looking at the parts of ourselves that we have rejected, denied. Suppressed or hidden from the world. Okay. And these are not always the worst parts of ourselves. Like some of these things are our, you know, our bad reactions or our bad temper or our jealousy or whatever. But also some of these parts are just the parts of ourselves that weren't validated or that were shamed. And so in shadow work, we're not extracting anything. We're not changing our core personality. We're not like taking anything away. We're just saying, oh, that's there. And it's actually okay that it's there. And when we bring it forth and when we give it a seat at the table, we call this integration. So all of a sudden, those things that were shameful that kind of like bound up energy inside of ourselves, they no longer have that power over us because they've already got a seat at the table, they've been named. And so now we feel like we have a little bit more authority over our behavior and over our minds. And so it's really this process of self-acceptance. So if I can see the part of myself that, you know, gets me and gets defensive and is sometimes rude to my husband when I'm feeling stressed. If I can own that part of my mind, then not only will I be able to recognize it in the moment because I've owned it as mine, um, but I'll be able to work with it better and I'll actually be able to catch myself and go, oh, I'm falling into that pattern again. Take a breath, take ownership, you know, shift the state. So shadow work also allows us to feel more comfortable expressing ourselves. You mentioned being on a date and feeling rejected, I think what's important is that we remember that we aren't out there on a date waiting to be chosen. We're also choosing. We're also qualifying. Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we feel like we are, you know, not good enough, and we want somebody to validate us and love us, then all we'll be thinking about is that, and we totally lose our power. So if we've accepted ourselves, and we're like, okay, here's who I am. This is what, I, this is what I'm about. And, you know,
1: and people nowadays have to realize too that rejection is rampant, and rejection might not be about you; it might be about the other person. Maybe the other person is going through things uh, and it has nothing to do with you right but it's it's difficult to uh not to take ownership of it. um What yeah. advice do you have for those who are deeply affected by rejection?
2: I mean, honestly, one of the things that I'm pondering lately and I'm talking a lot about with my audience is this idea of rejection in the first place. Sometimes I think people who experience chronic rejection actually just say yes to every single person that they meet because they're they're out of their center when they're on a date or they're out of their center when they're meeting a person. Because chances are if you're grounded in your body, you know who you are and you know your core values and what you want you're not going to say yes to every single person you meet. In fact, you might say yes to one out of 100. But if you're out of your center and you don't believe that you're worthy and you don't really know what you want, you just want comfort, you're going to say yes to everyone. So, of course, you're going to experience chronic rejection because you're you're not saying no, and so they're doing it for you. So I really like to kind of flip the script a little bit and talk more about focusing on qualifying people and getting to know them. And making sure that the relationship even has potential or if your core values are aligned, rather than focusing on whether or not they like you or if they think you're good looking or whatever, because that's sort of aside the point, you know, you've got to start to be in the driver's seat when you're out on a date. And when you're uh, meeting new people, you know, what what is it that you like about them or do they just represent, you know, validation for you? Because those are two different things.
1: And when we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show, because we need to take a break, we're going to talk about codependency in relationships, we never had a chance to get to that, as well as the importance of forgiveness and letting go. We'll be right back. Stay with
0: us. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from SingleInTheCity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: We are back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. I have Joan Kelly Walker in studio with me. from yep. home. Hello. Home studios. <laughs> and <laughs> Shay's <a> studio. in- <laughs> Shay is our special guest. She's a conscious relationship and psychology write- writer and she's the founder of the online community, Rising Woman. Let's Discuss codependency in relationships now. Experts say that codependency is a pattern of behavior in which you find yourself dependent on approval from someone else for your self-worth and identity. And some research suggests that people who have parents who emotionally abused or neglected them in their teens are more likely to enter into codependent relationships. Shay, how does one know if they're in a code-dependent relationship?
2: I think one of the traditional models of it is when, you know, you're in relationship with somebody who is struggling with an addiction to a substance or some sort of behavior and then the codependent person is typically the enabler like the person who wants to just take care of them and make it all comfortable and things like that that's what we you know traditionally know is codependence but like you said it really does actually pour over into um, all sorts of different relationship dynamics and I think that one of the key things is that all of us have a little bit of codependence going on. It's just I think it's also kind of bleeds into normal where, you know, we're relational beings and so of course we're not always going to not react to when our partner's in a bad mood or feeling something. But when it gets to be a problem is when we are overriding our own alert system, we're overriding our truth, we're overriding our boundaries in order to win love or approval. So any time that our boundaries are crossed in a codependent relationship, we're much more worried about that other person's approval and validation than we are about standing up for ourselves. So we'll really put ourselves on the back burner. We'll mute our truth in order to be loved and accepted because that vulnerable, little tender part of ourselves that still feels like we're not good enough, you know, we want that love more than we want to have a voice or that we want respect or whatever it is. And so, really, being in a codependent relationship is self-abandonment. You know, we've left ourselves in order to take care of or give all of ourselves to another person. Um, and in that space, there's really no room for authenticity. And uh
0: breaking uh, how, that cycle—like, how, yeah. how do you do
2: that? I mean, again, it's this one of these things where it it does take time and it takes knowing yourself, it takes doing inner child work, it takes doing a, a history of, you know, what are the things that you've endured that have sort of programmed you with this idea that your feelings aren't important or that you have to work to get love. Now, a lot of us have this belief that we have to work to earn love, that like it's not enough to just be. So we over-function, we over-give, and we pour ourselves out, and we do headstands all day so that they'll, you know, love us. And so there is a practice that I used to do, when I was working on my own codependence, where any time I was going to do something for somebody else, whether it was buy them a gift or make a meal or whatever it was, I would just pause for a moment and I would say, is this for me? because I feel like I'm in a really abundant space and I just want to give because it feels good? Or am I doing this because I want to get love and approval? And if I was really honest with myself, and I could be because nobody else was watching and nobody else was listening inside my head, I could be really honest and say, oh, I'm doing this because I want love and approval, then I wouldn't do it. And I would you know, go make myself a nice cucumber lemon water or I would buy myself the gift or I'd get myself flowers or I would make myself a meal um, or I would just take a break you know, sit down and read a book, whatever it is. So it's really catching ourselves, I think, in the moment. But also, you know, sometimes we're in, the, in a relationship that is codependent and that unraveling requires that we actually work with, you know, a qualified person, whether it's a, a relationship coach or, you know, in more severe situations, it's best to work with a therapist or a psychologist, somebody who has uh, you know, training and working with addiction and things like that. Um, and so sometimes you actually need to extend and get support in your community.
1: Um, and I, I just before the show ends, because we don't have much time, I really wanted to touch on the importance of forgiveness and letting go. And I think a lot of us know how important it is, but we just we, we just don't do it. So I mean, we've all been wronged. We've all been wronged at some point in our lives, and no one can say that they've never experienced um, some sort of emotional pain in the past. But I know that what you decide to do with all your heartache is more important than the actual hurt itself. So. And most people find that, I think, forgiving is not that easy and that it's much easier to just continue blaming the person who upset you and to hold grudges and go against them as long as you can. But in your opinion, why is it so important to forgive and move forward and leave it in the past? Mm.
2: Sometimes forgiveness is required, especially if we're in active relationship with a person and we want to continue that relationship and, and you know, provided the boundary violation wasn't so severe that it wouldn't make sense anymore. Uh, but sometimes forgiveness is really just acceptance, okay? So sometimes there it, it is unforgivable and it's okay to not forgive. But what we're talking about is accepting the past rather than ruminating in it, living in it, and letting it hold us back from ever receiving love or giving love again. So any time that we are held in the past by a memory that's really painful for us and we're reliving the anger and we're reliving the pain and we're focused on that, um, it's really hard for us to enter into a new space where we trust love or where we feel like we can actually fully be in relationship with someone again. So I think what's more important is that we focus on accepting what has happened, knowing that we can't change it, and also forgiving ourselves you know, it wasn't your fault, whatever happened or whatever you experienced. Um, and let yourself live. You know, really let yourself experience more joy, more pleasure um, and love in the future. And sometimes... And you'll ex-
1: yeah, and you'll experience a lot less stress in your life. When mm-hmm. you're, you're exactly. hanging on to that, it's it's very damaging.
0: It's very yeah. heavy to carry something around. It's so much lighter if you can get to that place of forgiveness. Exactly. Like it kind of robs you of, uh, you know, your own... Uh, serenity I think if you're if you're harboring something that needs to be forgiven and you can't quite get there it's I just find it to be like super heavy
2: Mm-hmm. it's painful and it's, it's more painful for you because you're giving them your power I like to just say you know it's about taking your power back it's about being free in your own mind I've I've held on to grudges for a very long time and I can tell you that I tortured myself and it wasn't fun at all so um Being able to accept what happened and just move on was really, you know, a game changer. Mm -hmm.
1: Thankfully, I've never really been a person to hold on to grudges. Joan, I, I don't think you do either.
0: Definitely not. That's one thing I really love about myself is that I can forgive, but the one exchange, I guess, is that if I really feel slighted, I can forgive the person, but I may not feel the same way as I did about them. like I sort of like they've lost my hmm. respect, which you know maybe that's not full forgiveness, but i do I can distance myself away from it.
1: Yeah, and that that's the, the idea way that happens. forgiveness
2: means that you know, somebody is allowed back in our life or that they're, what they did was okay, that's not forgiveness. You can forgive somebody and then also still have that boundary where they're not, they're not given a seat at your table anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: That ends our yeah. show, Lady Shalina, Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you in the amazing work that you do?
2: We have a really big community on Instagram, uh, at Rising Woman. And then my personal is at Shalina Ayana, which probably you won't be able to spell. So just go over to Rising Woman and RisingWoman.com. We've got lots of free resources there for you.
1: And Joan?
0: I am at JoanKellyWalker.com And Instagram, it's Joan Kelly Walker Official.
1: And I'm at singleinthecity.ca and at official Laura Bellotta on Instagram and the dating and relationship show on Instagram as well. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Ciao for now.